If you would, open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, which is where our text will be found, but we'll also be reading from chapter 2 and 3, so keep it handy. We've been studying John's first epistle, 1 John, and what I have pointed out is that having established a foundation He then builds an argument and then expands on it and expands on it one more time. We're at the third level now. For the third time now, he makes the application of the test. There is the moral test, which is we are to be obedient. There's the social test. We are to love one another. And then there is the doctrinal test. We are to believe the Lord Jesus has come in the flesh. So in our text today, for the third time, he will deal with the test of love. But by way of review, I just want to read what he said previously. So if you look at chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, this is the first time he makes the argument for the love test, if you wish. That is to say, how do you know if someone's a believer? The false teachers had come in, they were teaching false doctrine. How do you know? Well, one of the tests is love. Chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is the first time. This is a test. If somebody loves their brother, we see that they're in the light. If they do not love their brother, then obviously they're in darkness. The second time he comes around to this test is in chapter 3. So if you would look at verse 11. We'll read verses 11 through 18. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Very important there. We know that we are God's people because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is the second time he mentions the test of love. And in our text today, he returns to it for a third time. Each time, by the way, the test becomes more searching. And a summary, actually, of these tests is found in chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The Lord willing, we will see this next week, where he combines the test of doctrine, of belief, with that of love. But our text today is chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. 
I'll read it now and then we'll go through it verse by verse. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Three times in these verses we see the phrase, love one another. In verse number seven, it's an exhortation. Dear friends, let us. It's the form of an imperative. This is what we must do, what we should do. Let us love one another. In verse number 11, it is stated as a duty. We ought to love one another. But then in verse number 12, it's put forward as an hypothesis. If we love one another. What John, I think, is trying to do in this third time that he mentions the test of love is to demonstrate the basis for this obligation. Why do we have to love one another? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it the duty of Christians? Yeah, previously, he has said that it's an old commandment. It's also a new commandment. He's also said that it is evidence that someone has been born again, that they have eternal life. But now he fleshes it out. John gives us three arguments for why we are to love one another. First of all, because God himself is love. Secondly, because God has loved us. But then thirdly, because God continues to love in and through us. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Here we have the first argument for why we are to love one another. It's based on God's nature, his eternal nature. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is sort of the moment I've dreaded in the sermon. We have to deal with something here. The NIV, for some inexplicable reason, has mistranslated and misrepresented the beginning of verse number 7, which is really unfortunate. Remember, we're dealing with a translation. Okay, this has been translated from Greek into English. This is not the first time, by the way, that they've done this, but here it really is important. What is it that they do wrong? Well, it, they use dear friends at the beginning of verse number seven instead of the word beloved. By the way, they did this in 321, dear friends, if our hearts condemn us. And in 4.1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. And now we find it here. We'll find it again in verse number 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us. One could argue, well, Damon, I mean, dear friends and beloved, that that's not far apart. They may not be synonyms, but they're really, really close. Um, so in a sense, you know, no harm is done by saying dear friends instead of saying beloved. But John wrote this in Greek, and we miss something really, really important uh, in the translation. Because the first two words in verse number seven 
come from the same root. Agapetoi, beloved. Agapomen, let us love. So it's a, it's a double whammy. He uses the same root word twice. Beloved, let us love. And if you say, dear friends, by the way, there's, a, there's another the Greek words for friend. That's not what he says. It's loved ones, love. Okay. John is doing precisely what he preaches. He calls on his readers, the beloved ones, the one he loves, to love one another. I think this is important and it shouldn't be overlooked. Okay. So now let's get back to verse number seven. His first argument for brotherly love. God's eternal nature. Love comes from God. God is love. God is the source and origin of love and all true love comes from him. So it stands to reason if God is love, the origin of love, and we claim to be the people of God, the children of God, then, in fact, we should love one another as God loved us. Okay? And someone who does has been born of God and knows God. By the way, earlier in the book, John defined love for us, and that is that Christ gave himself for us. It is self-sacrificial love. But God is not only the source of love, God is love. Now, John doesn't delve into this by pointing to the Trinity, but we have seen in the past that one who says that God is love must believe in the Trinity. Okay. That is, before God created anything, God the Father loved God the Son. They both loved God the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Father. There was within the Trinity this eternal love. It isn't as though God said, I'm going to make something. Let there be light. And then he created the world and he goes, Oh, I love my creation. No, God is love. And if he never created the world, he would still be love. So for those like the Unitarians who say, in fact, that God is only one person, then God can't be love. God cannot be love. He is eternally love. The Father freely gives himself to the Son, so that he is fully and eternally the Son. The Son is fully and eternally the Son, and the Father is the Father, and the Spirit is the Spirit. They each give themselves to one another. We saw this when we looked at a series on creation. This giving and receiving of love, yeah, that's what it is. It is life for us, but God is love. In several passages in the New Testament, we are told what God is in terms of substance and nature. We are told that God is spirit when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman in John 4. In chapter 1 of this epistle, we are told that God is light. In Hebrews, we are told in Hebrews 12 that God is a consuming fire. Now, the false teachers believe that God was light and they believe that he was spirit. But they did not, at least in their practice, believe that he was love. This is, I think, the most sublime and comprehensive 
affirmations about God's being. And it's mentioned twice. God is love. It's actually mentioned three times um, in our passage. But let's be clear. When John says that God is love, he is not saying that love is one of the things that God does. It's one of his many activities. He creates, he loves, you know, he sees what's going on. It's just one of the things that he does. No, everything that God does comes out of his love. Okay, it's not a separate category over here to say, okay, this is God loving over here, but then this is God redeeming over here or creating over here. It begins with his love. Everything flows from that. So if God judges, he judges in love. He who is love is also light, but he is also a consuming fire. So God does not condone our sins. He has found a way to expose our sins. He is light. He has found a way to consume our sins. He is a consuming fire. But this is all done in love. Without destroying the sinner, God in fact redeems the sinner, but as a consuming fire destroys that which offends him. I find it interesting, I don't know if you noticed, that John's statement, because God is love, comes within the context of a negative statement, a negative assertion. Whoever does not love does not know God. This is in contrast to what we see in verse number 7, that anyone or everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, those who don't love do not know God. So we may conclude, rather frighteningly, that if we do not love, one may conclude that we do not know God. Now we come to the second argument. The first one being that we are that loving one another is based on God's eternal nature. The second argument is that loving one another is based on God's gift in history. That is the sending of his son. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The origin of love is in the being of God. The manifestation of God's love is in the incarnation. So, my duty to love you and your duty to love me, we are to love one another, isn't based merely on the fact that God is love, this sort of abstract concept that, oh, God is love. It is, in fact, based also in the concrete reality that God demonstrated his love by sending his one and only son. One could argue that there have been many, many demonstrations of God's love throughout history. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 25, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. God has throughout history demonstrated his love. He called Abraham. He redeemed Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. He kept them through the wilderness and provided for them. He did so much more. But it is supremely in sending his son, his one and only son, as an atoning sacrifice that God demonstrates his love for us. We saw this earlier in chapter 2. Let me read it to you. But if anyone does sin, 
we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we saw this, we saw that Jesus is presented in three ways. First of all, he's an advocate. He is the one who speaks to the Father on our behalf. behalf. He is our defense attorney, if you wish, who argues our case before the judge. He stands next to us, and he advocates for us. But more than that, he is a righteous advocate. He isn't simply a defense attorney. He is someone who is righteous. And we live in a time, like Shakespeare said, kill all the lawyers, where we don't necessarily have a very good picture of lawyers, seeing them sometimes as rather slimy characters. Our attorney, our advocate, is the righteous advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. But there's one more thing. Not only is he our attorney, is he righteous, but then he pays the penalty for what we have done wrong. He is the one who defends us. He is the one who is righteous, but he is the one who pays the penalty. And I asked the question when we went through this, why would he do this? That's what we're looking at in our text today. Love. It is because of his great love for us. So if this is what God did through his son, the Lord Jesus, a demonstration of his love, then we should also love one another. Verse number 11. He writes, Dear friends, but it is beloved since God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. As the expression goes, enough said. There it is. If God loved us, then we should love one another. Now we go to the third argument. The first is God is love. Secondly, God demonstrated his love through the Lord Jesus. Now we come to the third argument. It is that God's love is seen in our love. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and our love is made complete, or his love is made complete in us. See, we are not to think of love only as reflecting God's eternal being, that God is love. As reflecting God historically sending the Lord Jesus into the world to pay for our sins. The God who loves still loves us. And his love is seen in our love. We are told that God is spirit in John 4. And we are told that God is invisible. And so the hymn we sang today, Immortal, Invisible, God is invisible. And John says no one has seen God at any time. By the way, let me read to you from what Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. John says no one has ever seen God. 
By the way, he said that in the first chapter of his gospel. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus isn't here anymore. We are. The invisible God, who is revealed by his Son, the Lord Jesus, is now to be revealed to the world by the church when we love one another. For those who would say, God does not exist. God is invisible. I can't see him. We should answer, humbly, God does exist. And we are the living proof, we are to be the living proof of God's love. You see, we didn't love God first, he loved us. And now we reflect that love to people around us. But it begins with us loving each other. And if, as Christians, we do not love each other, then the world has every right to say, God does not exist. We are the tangible, the concrete expression of God in the world today. I think we would prefer that it be some type of theoretical, abstract, ethereal thing, you know, that God is there. Uh, God is much more practical, concrete. We are the expression of God's love in the world today. In the same way that the Lord Jesus is the revelation of God, when he came into the world, we are to be the revelation, the expression of God's love when we love one another. And if we do not love one another, then there is, in a very real sense, no expression of God's love in the world. John says something rather astounding here in verse number 12. That God's love is made complete in us. It is a staggering thought. And in fact, many commentators try to, to weaken this because it just seems it's too much. It's overwhelming to think that God's love is made perfect in us. God's love which originated in the Trinity in eternity past which is manifested in the Incarnation, is now being made complete in the Church. It's almost like, I, that's, too, that's too big a job. I, I have to beg off. That's just way too much. But that is what we have been given. Eternal love, eterni- love in eternity, demonstrated in the coming of Jesus into the world, is now to be carried on and completed in us as God's people. God's living in us results in God's love being completed in us. It is, in fact, a combination of the doctrinal test, if you wish, and the social test of love. We're not going to look at it today, but I want to read these passages before we leave. Look at verse number 13. We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And then continue verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's a remarkable statement. That people will know that, in fact, we are the people of God, if we love one another. I would argue that we are not supposed to go around telling people we are the people of God. We are, in fact, to love one another, and that will be the demonstration, the evidence that we are. In our text today, we are told that we are to love one another because God is love himself, his eternal being. That God has loved us in the Lord Jesus Christ by sending his son. And that God continues to love in and through us. I think we're very familiar with the first two, that God is love. You know, he's the source of love and that God has loved us. For God so loved the world. We, you know, this we know. Uh, the third statement I think is we're not so familiar with. I think because it's one that is a bit overwhelming. The invisible God is made visible to the world when we love one another. God's there whether we love one another or not. Okay. Um, he loved us first. Okay, we didn't start this whole process. Okay, but the invisible God is made visible to the world when we love one another. God lives in us; His love is in us, and it is seen when we love one another. No one has ever seen God, but they have seen us. And by God's grace, when they see us, they will see the love of God. And the, visible, in the invisible God is made manifest to the world because we love one another. We've looked in the past few weeks, what does love mean? It is self-sacrifice. It is the giving of oneself to others. As Jesus gave his life for us, so we are also to give. And it doesn't mean just dying. I'll die for you. That's, I think, easier said, and in many ways also easier done than giving people things day to day that they may need that are precious to us. 
Life is the most precious gift we can give. But we have a lot of other stuff that's less precious, but still kind of important to us. We are to love one another. We are to give to those who are in need. And in doing so, the invisible God is made visible to the world. It's quite remarkable. And God forgive us when we don't love each other as we should. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. Though sometimes it hits us as a tidal wave. Yes, we know that you are love. And yes, we know that you loved us in sending your son but that we are to be the visible proof, the tangible proof that you exist, that you are love. When we love one another, frankly, we're, we're not up to the task. And certainly on our own we cannot, but we have the gift of your spirit. We have your grace and your tender mercies. May we, by your grace, love one another as we should. And rather than going around and telling people who we are, we would live it out. Not as individuals, but as a people. Not as lone rangers, but as a people. That in loving one another, in self-sacrificial love, We demonstrate the truth that you are there and that you are love. May your spirit drive these truths home to our hearts. May we not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. By your grace, may we love each other as we should. Thank you for bringing us to this place today to worship you as we begin a new week. And here at the end of our worship, we are reminded of all those who have been mentioned during our time for prayer. We hold them up to you and ask that in your grace and in your wisdom, you would do what is best for each one. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so patient with us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. As we leave this place today, may your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.